Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, August 25th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Fox News hosts the GOP's first presidential debate. Trump turns himself in in Georgia. A Pakistani court allows ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan to be arrested. BRICS leaders agree to add six new members. The U.S. seeks to extend a scientific research agreement with China. NVIDIA sales surge amid the AI boom. An Ontario court upholds Jordan Peterson's social media training order. Scientists allow a paralyzed woman to speak through a digital avatar. A report finds Vietnam's kissing rocks are at risk of collapsing. And the male sex chromosome is decoded for the first time. In our top story, Fox News hosts the GOP's first presidential debate. And here are the facts as agreed upon by PBS NewsHour, The Guardian, New York Post, Breitbart, and Forbes. On Wednesday, eight candidates for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Sands former President Donald Trump, who is leading the polls, participated in the first debate of the campaign season, with less than five months before the nomination process begins. The eight participants were former Trump VP Mike Pence, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. The candidates were required to sign a pledge that they would support the GOP nominee in the general election. And all but Christie and Hutchinson said they would support Trump, even if he's convicted of a felony before Election Day. DeSantis, who is leading just behind Trump in the polls, appeared to hesitate before raising his hand when the question about supporting a convicted Trump was asked. Other debate topics included funding for Ukraine, climate change, and government spending, which led to a heated verbal exchange between Pence and Ramaswamy, with the former criticizing the latter's lack of political experience. Meanwhile, Trump, who has been indicted in four criminal cases, has turned himself in in Georgia, in that state's case over his actions following the 2020 presidential election. Thanks for laying out those facts, Eric. We have a Democratic narrative from Vox. This debate proved that Trump is the Republican Party, and at the end of the day, there's no way to distinguish between the two. Even when given a chance to disavow support for Trump if he becomes a convicted felon, most of the eight people on stage chose fealty to the frontrunner. They never challenged him and instead attacked each other, leaving the door open for Trump to dominate the party. We follow that up with a Republican narrative coming from Daily Caller. A talented crop of candidates and alternatives to Trump was on display in the debate. Each one played to his or her strengths and presented a vision of future Unlike Trump, who's seemingly stuck in 2020, if Trump thought he was wise to skip the debate, he was proven wrong. And we also have a pro-Trump narrative from Daily Mail. This debate, resembling a Trump vice president audition, was a waste of time. Trump already has the nomination in the bag, so the donors should keep their money and the party should rally around the former president. Given the rift between Fox News and the former president, skipping the debate was a no-brainer for the runaway frontrunner. And we have a nerd narrative for this story coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 77% chance that Trump will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. What do you think Trump was doing during the uh, debates? 
So he released a recorded uh, interview with Tucker Carlson. Right, and I bet right. you during the debate, he was watching it. I mean, from what I understand, he watches Fox News all the time. He was probably just had it on anyway. He just had, he's like, oh, wow, this is on. Trump is arrested in Georgia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Atlanta News First, Newsweek, Fox News, CNBC, Voice of America, and NBC News. Former President Donald Trump surrendered Thursday at the Fulton County Jail, where he was arrested and booked over alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. The Federal Aviation Administration issued flight restrictions around the area above the jail from 6.45 p.m. to 9 p.m. local time. Trump posted on Truth Social about his arrest at 7.30 p.m. local time. This comes as Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis set a deadline of noon Friday for all 19 co-defendants to turn themselves in. Several suspects, including former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Trump former lawyers Jenna Ellis, John Eastman, and Sidney Powell, as well as former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, have already surrendered. Charged with 13 counts of racketeering, criminal conspiracy, criminal solicitation, filing false documents, and making false statements, Trump is likely to have his mugshot taken. The trial has been scheduled for October 23rd, which Trump opposes. Being arrested and booked for the fourth time this year, the 2024 GOP presidential frontrunner is expected to be released pending trial on a $200,000 bond his legal team negotiated earlier this week. Meanwhile, a Georgia judge on Thursday scheduled the first trial date of October 23rd for co-defendant Kenneth Chesborough, who has filed a demand for a speedy trial in the case. Scott, thank you for laying out the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with a pro-Trump narrative coming from One America. Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, and the Department of Justice are continuing their witch hunt to derail Trump's certain victory in the 2024 presidential election. President Trump will be found innocent, and these charges, like the ones in the other indictments, are all part of an attempt to drown a political opponent in legal action. And the Democratic narrative comes from CNN. This case is the most perilous one for Trump starting with the strict terms of his bond deal that aimed to crack down on the social media attacks he's made in other cases. This is the first time he's had to post cash bail and be fairly treated based on these criminal allegations. If convicted of state charges, there would be no chance for him to pardon himself if he regains the presidency. This story has generated another nerd narrative coming from Metaculus. They say there's a 70% chance that Donald Trump will be charged with witness tampering in Georgia before June 1st, 2024. In our next story, a Pakistani court allows ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan to be arrested. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, NDTV, India Today, Associated Press, and Dawn. A Pakistani anti-terrorism court on Wednesday allowed Pakistani authorities to interrogate and arrest former Prime Minister Imran Khan regarding an attack on an army building during protests that followed Khan's brief arrest on corruption charges in May. Khan, who's already facing a three-year jail sentence following his conviction earlier this month in a separate case, has denied the charges against him, saying that the government seeks to prevent him from contesting upcoming national elections. On May 9th, Lahore's core commander's house, often called Jinnah House, as well as other civil and military installations, after Khan was arrested in a corruption case. Khan was later released on bail. The inspector general of the police demanded action related to the case, seeking to interrogate and arrest the former prime minister, which the anti-terrorism court has now allowed. 
Earlier this month, Khan was found guilty of concealing assets after selling state gifts he received while in office. Khan's legal team claimed the sentence was issued too quickly. The Islamabad High Court is due to resume hearings on Khan's appeal to the previous corruption charges on Friday. Khan's legal troubles have generated much controversy, both within Pakistan and internationally. After Khan's conviction earlier this month, a classified document obtained by The Intercept that suggests the U.S. State Department may have pressured the Pakistani government to remove Khan from office was published. The U.S. denies that it intervened in Pakistan's internal politics. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from Islami City. Khan's arrest is illegal and politically motivated. The accusations against him are completely fabricated, with his opponents pursuing 80 different cases against him, including completely baseless accusations of murder, sedition, blasphemy, and terrorism, in the hopes that something will stick. The government wants to remove Khan from the electoral contest because it fears his popularity among voters. Narrative B comes from Geo. The arrest of Imran Khan is not politically motivated. He is accused of theft and corruption. His denial of every accusation merely serves to demonstrate that he avoids accountability in every way. His case has been investigated thoroughly, and the verdict followed due process. With his sentence, Khan will be disqualified from politics for five years. BRICS leaders agree to add six new members. Here are the facts as agreed upon by WION News, The Guardian, France 24, Business Today, and La Prensa Latina Media. On Thursday, South African president and host of the 15th BRICS Summit in Johannesburg, Cyril Ramaphosa, announced that the bloc's leaders have agreed to invite six more countries to join the Alliance of Emerging Economies. Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia will become BRICS members, joining Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa on January 1, 2024, Ramaphosa said. BRICS expansion is expected to have major geopolitical influence, with the bloc reportedly looking to increase its influence in the U.S. and Western-dominated international institutions such as the United Nations. The development comes after Russian President Vladimir Putin, who missed the event due to an international criminal court arrest warrant, used the summit to slam the U.S. In a pre-recorded video message, he said, Our actions in Ukraine are dictated by only one thing to end the war that was unleashed by the West and its satellites. Chinese President Xi Jinping also unleashed a series of thinly-veiled jabs at the U.S. In his speech, read out by his commerce minister, Jinping described an unnamed country as being obsessed with maintaining hegemony and has gone out of its way to cripple the emerging markets and developing countries. Established in 2006, the BRICS accounts for 42% of the world's population, 26% of global GDP, and 18% of global exports. The five existing countries' share in global foreign direct investment stands at 22%. Thank you, Scott, for the facts of that story. The Washington Post is going to start us out with the spins with a pro-establishment narrative. While the expansion suggests unity and momentum, the move is ironically more likely to expose the existing rifts among the BRICS members. The bloc faces a fate similar to that of the EU, where the steady addition of new members led to growing ambiguity about the goals and the purpose of the supranational union. Though Putin may try to use BRICS to blame the West for his illegal invasion of Ukraine and transform it into an anti-U.S. bloc, the alliance remains an artificial construct shaped by heterogeneous economic interests. 
and the establishment critical narrative comes from TASS. This is a historic day not only for BRICS but for the entire global south and proves that the bloc's member states can bridge existing political and economic differences to create a more equitable international order. Under Russia's leadership, BRICS is pushing back against the West's policies of hegemony and neocolonialism, instead promoting a multipolar world based on the principles of equality, partnership, support, and due regard for each other's interests. Once again, the nerds from Metaculus are chiming in with their narrative. They say there's a 27% chance that the Chinese yuan will be among the top three global payments currencies before 2030. You know, Eric, this surprises me. I thought Argentina was going to the Big 12. The U.S. looks to extend a scientific research agreement with China. And here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, The Guardian, NBC, Voice of America, and Politico. On Wednesday, the U.S. State Department announced its intention to pursue a six-month extension of a long-standing science and technology agreement with China that would allow for negotiations with Beijing to, quote, strengthen the deal. The Science and Technology Agreement, or STA, which allows two nations to cooperate across the scientific and technological fields, was established in 1979 and has been renewed every five years. If the agreement lapses, it will impede government-to-government collaboration in areas such as climate change and public health and disrupt academic cooperation between the two nations. The Biden administration has said the brief extension allows negotiations with China to amend and strengthen the agreement without committing the U.S. to a long-term deal. Amid concerns from the U.S. House Select Committee, a group of GOP lawmakers have introduced a bill that would seek congressional supervision on any science and technology deals between the world's two leading economies. Meanwhile, Beijing has signaled its openness to renewing the deal, with Chinese embassy spokesperson Liu Pingyu having previously said the nation is, quote, ready to discuss with the U.S. on the basis of equality and mutual benefit. The South China Morning Post brings us Narrative A. Beijing has used the STA to advance its military objectives. China exploits civilian research partnerships for military purposes by using academic researchers, industrial espionage, and forced technology transfers to steal information that they can use against the U.S. The U.S. must stop fueling its own destruction, and a good first step would be to let the STA expire. Follow that up with Narrative B coming from Bloomberg. The China hawks are wrong. China has become a scientific powerhouse, hosting advanced facilities found nowhere else. The U.S. arguably stands to gain more from collaboration with China now than ever before. Working with China will provide more benefits than risks from the joint research that the landmark agreement enables. NVIDIA's sales surge as the AI boom lifts earnings. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, ABC News, the Associated Press, CNN, and CNBC. NVIDIA shares rose in after-hours trading on Wednesday after the company surpassed estimates in both earnings and revenue for the second quarter of 2023, ending July 30th. The company's shares rose by as much as 9% following a year-over-year sales growth of 101% to $13.5 billion in Q2 2023, higher than the $11.2 billion estimation by Wall Street analysts. The company recorded profits of $6.2 billion, or $2.48 per share, over 900% higher than a year ago. Shares in NVIDIA have more than tripled in 2023, with the company's value reaching over $1.2 trillion. The results follow the wider trend of deepening investment into AI, 
with NVIDIA making up approximately 70% of AI microchip sales. NVIDIA's chips power OpenAI's ChatGPT, as well as similar language tools produced by Microsoft and Google. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang described the transition to AI as a new computing transition on Wednesday. Huang stated earlier this month that the company's early investment into AI, portrayed as a bet-the-company moment, was, quote, worth it. NVIDIA's shares rose 24% in a single day in May following its Q1 results. NVIDIA has announced that it will raise its share repurchase plan by $25 billion, having already repurchased approximately $3.4 billion worth of shares this year. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. We take a look at the spins and we begin with MarketWatch giving us a narrative A. Years of investment into the AI sector are paying off for NVIDIA, which continues to blow quarterly expectations out of the water. As companies continue to get serious over the rise of AI, the importance of NVIDIA will only continue to grow. The technology industry is seeking a long-term transition toward the future, and NVIDIA has positioned itself as an industry leader. And Narrative B comes from Money Morning. The rise of NVIDIA alongside the continued success of Microsoft, Google, and all others aboard the AI train is both cause for excitement and concern. Investors must only look back to the infamous dot-com bubble for justification. While AI certainly holds opportunities for the future, tech sector booms and busts have certainly happened before. We have a nerd narrative, once again, coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 35% chance that the stock price of NVIDIA will trade below $250 for at least one full day before 2025. I remember there was a short period of time, I think it was in like 1999 or 2000, of course, right before that, the dot-com bust, where Yahoo was going to buy Disney, like there for a short period of time, Yahoo, which now I don't even barely exists anymore. Yeah. What was, is Yahoo? Was worth more than Disney. And it That's was, crazy. and they were like, should, should we buy Disney? And imagine if they had, they would, they would own Disney. They would just be the Disney company now, you know, I yeah. now granted my thinking, my small kind of diversify thinking wouldn't get a company to where NVIDIA is now in the first place. Cause I wouldn't have risked it all, I guess yeah. in the first place. They're doing so much good right now, and they're good at what they do. Sometimes when you start diversifying too fast, and then you lose sight of what you were good at in the first place. News from Canada as a court upholds Jordan Peterson's social media training order. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBC, the Toronto Star, CBC News, and Global News. On Wednesday, Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson was denied judicial review of a decision by the College of Psychologists of Ontario which ordered him to undergo social media training in the wake of complaints over his online postings. The three-panel divisional court ruling said the order has, quote, minimal impact on Peterson's freedom of expression and was reasonable, as the college had previously asked Peterson to adopt a more respectful tone online. Since 2018, the college has received allegations that Peterson's online presence posed moderate risks of harm to the public, Peterson's statements on Canadian politicians, gender transition, climate change, and a former patient were cited as offending remarks. Peterson, who has not seen patients since 2017, is known for his critiques of modern society. He has argued his online statements weren't made in his capacity as a registered psychologist and that the training order infringes on his freedom of speech. The panel ruled that Peterson, quote, cannot have it both ways 
as a figure who often refers to his credentials without taking responsibility for any potential harm from his statements. Peterson's lawyers says he plans to appeal the decision, and Peterson vowed to publicize the training process. We've got a right narrative spin from the Toronto Sun. This ruling wasn't based on the law, it was political. If this decision stands, members of professional associations will be forced to give up their freedom of expression unless they agree with the establishment points of view. Peterson should continue to fight this egregious overreach of authority. The left narrative comes from Eagle Canada. Peterson is dragging psychology through the mud under the guise of protecting free speech. He has violated the psychologist's standards of conduct while using his professional standing to lend an air of legitimacy to his attacks on members of marginalized groups. He should be held accountable. Uh, this is a real quagmire. I'm not sure what the right thing is. It's, 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 it makes sense that every single thing that he ever says shouldn't be under the guise of his job. Right. But at the same time, like a medical doctor, if you're eating dinner at a restaurant and someone's choking, I think yeah. you're like required to help the person, you know, even so though too. you're, you know, oh, the dessert, let's wait until the dessert course, you know, I'm not, right, yeah. I'm, I'm not ready. So it's, I, I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm kind of a fan of Peterson's talks. I find them entertaining. I don't always agree yeah. with everything that he says, but I'm not sure what the right one is on here. And that's not yeah. just me playing the middle because we have to be unbiased. It's, no. it's a, that's a tough one. I think he's wearing too many hats and he's, he gets confused. I think that when you get, well, you could probably answer this question. When you get famous enough, you start to get so much influence, you mm -hmm. almost have to be more responsible. Right, Eric? Yeah. You would know this. Of course I know this, yeah. See, I, you know, I've tried to tell you this so many times. AI allows a paralyzed woman to speak again. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the journal Nature, NBC News, Neuroscience News, The Guardian, and The Telegraph. According to a study published in the journal Nature on Wednesday, a severely paralyzed woman has been able to speak through a digital avatar using a brain-computer interface. The woman, Ann Johnson, 48, suffered a brainstem stroke when she was 30, leaving her severely paralyzed and unable to speak. A team of researchers at UC San Francisco and UC Berkeley implanted a paper-thin rectangle of 253 electrodes over the region of Ann's brain critical for speech. Then they connected the electrodes to computers via a cable. After implementation, Anne trained the system's AI algorithm to detect her brain signals for at least 39 speech sounds. A ChatGPT-style language model was then used to translate the signals into sentences. The team then created a digital avatar that used a synthesized version of her voice before the injury to speak her audible words. It even allowed Anne to express emotions including happiness, sadness, and surprise. While the technology helped Anne speak again, it decoded words incorrectly 28% of the time in a test run involving more than 500 phrases. Additionally, it generated brain-to-text at 78 words per minute, lower than the natural speech rate between 110 and 150 words per minute. Scott, thanks for the facts of that interesting story. Our first spin is Narrative A, coming from BBC News. Artificial intelligence helping two paralyzed people communicate audibly and close to real time is nothing short of a miracle. Although it's a scientific proof of concept, turning the technology into a wireless medical device can bring us much closer to making AI a natural solution for paralyzed patients to speak and express clearly. And first post brings us Narrative B. 
Experiments that use electrodes to read brain signals date back to the late 1990s, but the research and its implementation in everyday life have yet to make strides. A crucial next step is to create the brain-computer interface's wireless version that would most likely be implanted beneath the skull, potentially raising privacy issues. It's too early to imagine a future where we could restore fluent and accurate conversation to paralyzed people. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative once again. They say there's a 50% chance that Neuralink will first implant a brain-machine interface device in a living human by December of 2024. I love it. I love to see technology truly help people like this. On the other hand, yeah. I'm afraid of AI too at the same time. <laughs> According to a special report, Vietnam's kissing rocks are at risk of collapse. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Star, Vietnam Express International, Asia News Network, BBC News, The Straits Times, and Vietnam Posts. According to a study published by Vietnam's Institute of Geosciences and Mineral Resources, or IGMR, Chong Mai Island, otherwise known as the Kissing Rocks in Vietnam's Ha Long Bay, is on the verge of collapse due to rising seawater levels, tidal forces, tourism, and other factors. Ho Tien Chung, head of tectonics and geomorphology at the Institute, has warned that visible cracks in the Kissing Rocks alongside the islet's vulnerability during low tide may prompt a collapse without protective actions. The study found that in tandem with rising sea levels and geological and tectonic movements, illegal fishing and unregulated tourism were speeding up the erosion of the twin rocks. To avoid erosion at the bottom of the surface, researchers suggest avoiding fishing around the rocks and inserting cement to shore up its foundations. Although tourists are not permitted to approach the 13.9-meter or 45.5-foot-tall chicken-shaped rocks, the speed of boats passing through continues to erode its base. To counteract the effects, the province of Quang Ninh's Department of Transport announced on Tuesday that tourist boats will not be allowed to go over 10 kilometers per hour or 6 miles per hour and must keep a distance of at least 70 meters or 229 feet when passing the islets. Thanks, Eric. We have Narrative A from Mekong I. Vietnam's heritage sites face severe erosion from human visitors, affecting communities and national treasures. Quality over quantity in Vietnam's tourism sector is essential to environmental protection. The Southeast Asian nation must step up to better manage tourism, or else other environmental and cultural treasures will also suffer. Narrative B is coming from Gulf News. Vietnam's environmental issues go beyond mere tourism. A major root cause is global warming, causing rising sea levels and threatening local populations. Countries such as Vietnam are in danger of disappearing unless global initiatives are implemented. Preserving environmental monuments requires facing up to the climate challenge first. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 50% chance there will be at least 578 millimeters of sea level rise in the year 2100. Eric, this reminds me a little bit of the, uh, you familiar with the the old man on the mountain was in New Hampshire and it was a, uh, it was no, like a face I'm... on the side of a mountain. It was even the image. Oh. Remember those state quarters they had? Oh yeah. That, that had yeah, like yeah. an emblem from each state. It right. Was, it was, uh. My friend Herb, who is proudly from New Hampshire, would always talk about the old man on the mountain. That was like New Hampshire's big, you know, landmark. Yeah, claim and to it fame. Had been, you know, for millions and millions of years, it had been on the side, this rock formation. And then in right. 2002 or 2003, it just it just fell. 
If you if you're a big fan of any particular rock formation, take a look at it while you can. You never know. I yeah. Well, I plan to uh, I plan to fly over there next week and check out the rocks before they uh, plunge good, good into idea. the sea. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna drive my speedboat right up near it just to get. You a good should. Look. Yes. Let's go fishing. Our final story: Scientists decode the male Y chromosome. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the conversation: Cosmos, CNA, The Telegraph, Reuters and the journal Science. The male-determining Y chromosome has been decoded as researchers recently revealed the first complete sequence of the thread-like structure that carries genetic information from cell to cell. In a pair of papers published in Nature on Wednesday, researchers revealed that state-of-the-art technology allowed them to decode the Y chromosome and complete the final step in sequencing the human genome. Despite sequencing the human genome 20 years ago, the Y chromosome remained incomplete due to a series of complex repetitions. A team of more than 100 researchers worked to fill the gaps, adding 30 million new bases to the human genome reference, including 41 new protein-coding genes. The Y chromosome is male-determining because it contains the SRY gene, which directs a ridge of cells into a testes instead of an ovary. Men have one X and one Y chromosome, while women have two X chromosomes. Unlike the X, which has 1,000 genes, the Y is much smaller and bears only 27. Scientists say the papers could reveal new insights into sperm production and how deciphering repeating regions of genes can provide a deeper understanding of human genetics and the cause of diseases. In addition to the important insight into fertility, decoding the Y chromosome allows scientists to build on a new version of the human genome after publishing a human genome with a partial Y chromosome last year. Those were the facts, and our first spin is Narrative A coming from Science News. After many years of confusion and seemingly endless loops, scientists have finally decoded the Y chromosome in a major breakthrough that will provide a wealth of knowledge for future scientific research. Not only does the decoded Y chromosome unlock a full sequencing of the human genome, but it also provides key information into the history of man, as well as the genetic basis for various diseases. Wednesday's reports are just the beginning of the groundbreaking genetic research that is to come. And Narrative B comes from USA Today. While it's certainly impressive that scientists have decoded the Y chromosome and completed a full sequencing of the human genome, the overall landscape of genetic research remains largely stagnant. The Y chromosome was a pesky puzzle that bothered scientists for years, but most of the idiosyncrasies are just fodder for the scientific community to debate about. There may be more breakthroughs down the line, but untangling the Y chromosome is more interesting than it is groundbreaking. That's neither here nor there, Scott. What I'm concerned about is they're finally going to discover what makes you tick. <laughs> Do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? Are you sure you want to know? You sure you know about what? that? No, you sure? I, think, I say we wrap up the podcast. I'll take yeah, the good safe idea. Route. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, let's head home. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, August 25th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on the Verity Podcast, please visit our website, verity.news. You can also download the Verity Podcast app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. 
For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time for the Verity Podcast. Podcast.